Well, welcome, church, to our devotional, A Look in the Book. Tonight, we're continuing our study on what comes to your mind when you think about God. Thinking of A.W. Tozer's famous line from his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And so we've been looking at the attributes of God. This is the last study before we have a little summer break. So we're looking at the omnipotence of God. We started that uh, last uh, Wednesday night, and we're going to continue tonight looking at four blessings of worshiping an omnipotent God. We looked at one last week. We're going to do three tonight. Last week, we studied the idea from the book of Revelation, the Lord God, the Almighty. The old King James actually has that word omnipotent reigns. So the first point about God's omnipotence is there is no successful opposition to the reign of God. He does, as the psalmist said, he does whatever he pleases. So that was the first point that we studied last Wednesday night. I have three more thoughts on the omnipotence of God. So this would be point number two. Because God is almighty, faith can be exercised in the middle of impossible situations. There's an interesting account. Get a Bible and look up these references with me. Jeremiah 32, just verses 15 to 17. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be bought in this land. And after I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, it is you who has made the heavens and the earth by your great power, we're talking about omnipotence, and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. So here's a promise God gives through Jeremiah. The people of Israel are about to go into Babylonian captivity. And the the word of the Lord is, Back in Israel, the land will again have value. They'll plant crops. Fields will again burst with life. Farms and houses will be valued. They'll be bought and sold. And it all seemed so incredibly hard to believe as they're going into some of the worst circumstances of their lives where the future just seemed to be completely cut off. And it wouldn't make any sense to believe that there was any future back in their own land after all the years of coming judgment in Babylon. Jeremiah, God says, you can dare to believe that you will again be in your land and that the land will be fruitful and you will buy and sell and prosper and thrive again even though you can't see how it can possibly be. There are lots of situations like that. And and something of high faith, it just rises up in Jeremiah about the the omnipotence of God. He says, you are the one who made all the earth and heaven. And if that's your nature, if that's who you are, and if you promise that there's a future, even when it looks like the future has been completely cut off, then you can be trusted because you are omnipotent. You're the maker of all things. Let me give you another famous example of this from the Old Testament. 
Look at Genesis 17, verses 1 and 2. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, omnipotent. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Now, right at this point, Abraham probably doesn't see the significance of the way God introduces himself in that first verse. I am God Almighty. Walk before me. And maybe that just seems like some kind of a theological title, and maybe Abraham doesn't see the significance of why God introduces himself that way, but he will see why God introduces himself that way. Look at Genesis 18, 10 to 14. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? 13, and the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Omnipotence. At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Suddenly, it's very important that God introduces himself. Back in chapter 17, God introduces himself to Abraham as, I am God Almighty. God's point surely is it doesn't matter how old Abraham is or how old Sarah is. Their ages are irrelevant because God is almighty. So there are, in effect, no barriers. Last week, God does whatever he pleases. There's no successful opposition to his reign. I talked last week about the impact of, of the secular age on the minds of Christians. And one bad influence is particularly deadening to the Christian mind. We, we can begin to calculate too meagerly with God. I mean, we don't want to look irrational. We don't want to look fanatical. And so we can easily just believe down to commonly accepted levels of the world around us. And the tragedy is... Um, I know, I know there's enough silliness out there where you think you can just confess whatever you want. I, I get it. But don't let that turn you away from the idea that we still do worship an almighty God who does impossible things. Jesus seemed to labor this. He'd say to people, if you can believe, all things are possible. Okay, point number three. Because God is almighty, he still controls the nations and works in the governments of the earth through the prayers of his people. Let me show you one of the neatest examples of this in the whole Bible and then just explain it a little bit to you. It would really be helpful to look this up. Isaiah 45, 1 to 6. These are amazing verses. Isaiah 45, 1 to 6. So remember, the point here is God works through nations and governments sovereignly 
in an omnipotent way. Isaiah 45, 1. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, remember that name, whose right hand I have grasped to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. I will go before you, this is God speaking, and level the exalted places. I will break the places of the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. And I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name, Cyrus. Verse four, for the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, note the emphasis. Though you do not know me, I am the Lord and there is no other. Beside me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me, that I am the Lord and there is no other. Okay, God wants his people to know that he will be involved in bringing them out of that Babylonian captivity, the one we just studied where in Jeremiah they were going into that captivity and God promised that they would be able to come back to their land and, and have houses and successful farms, even though it didn't look like there was any future. Okay, now what Isaiah is talking about is how God is going to bring them back out of Babylonian captivity. Things will be going from bad to worse for years for the people of Judah. They're being punished by God for their idolatry, their unbelief, their rebellion. But God will deliver them. Okay, how is he going to deliver them? Our text in Isaiah 45 says he will specifically raise up a king. And about four times, God says, I'm naming him for you. Cyrus. He will raise up Cyrus. Cyrus will be the king of Persia. Cyrus will be the most powerful person in the world at that time. And I say will be, get this, because Cyrus won't be born for another 150 years. He's not on the scene yet. When he arrives, he won't know the Lord. The text says that about three times. He's not going to be a godly person in any way, shape, or form. And before he's born, God says, I'm naming the person I'm going to use to deliver my people. His name is going to be Cyrus. Notice how Isaiah links together the power of God in creation with what he's going to do through Cyrus. It's in that 12th verse. I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens and I commanded all their hosts. And then it talks about his faithfulness in governing what he has created in verse 13. And then it talks about Cyrus. I have stirred him up in righteousness. I will make all his ways level. He shall build my city, set my exiles free, not for price or reward, says the Lord of hosts. I've been taught that God was a creator since I was a kid, and it's never been hard for me to believe it. I still believe God made the heavens and the earth, literally made them. It's another thing to believe that 
It is still God's creative power at work in the world today, in nations that don't know him, don't honor him. That's why, that's why this situation with Cyrus is so significant. He will be a godless king. He will be the most powerful person in the world. And he will do exactly what God wants him to do. And I'm sure there were all sorts of times when in Babylon it looked bleak and hopeless, like there was no future. And you look at the world today and you look at situations, the situation we're in right now as a people, nations, and you think, where is God? And, and it is so important to remember this third point, because God is almighty, he still controls the nations and works in the governments and the people of the earth. In the New Testament, you'll find this emphasis even in the New Testament church. Look at, how, look at how the early church prays the release of Peter and John. It's in Acts 4, 23 to 25. When they were released, and by the way, they were, they were told, no more talk about Jesus. Now that's persecution of the church. They weren't just, they weren't just uh, you know, in, in, in lockdown, but still able, we're still able to pray, read the Bible, talk about Jesus, evangelize, we're able to do all those things. These people were told, don't you mention Jesus ever again. See, that's persecution for the church. And it says, 423, when they were released, they went to their friends, reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, this is the church, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and this is Psalm 2, they're quoting, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? And look, notice how they looked at even the aggressive acts of world leaders in the crucifixion of Jesus, like Herod and Pontius Pilate, Acts 4.28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. This is the foundation of their confidence that God works among nations. He is sovereign, omnipotent over the affairs of the whole world. That's how they pray. Look at verses 29 and 30 of Acts 4. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So God works in nations and governments. He is omnipotent. It was true in the Old Testament. It was absolutely true in the expectation in the prayer life of the New Testament church as well. And it should be our confidence today. Okay, one more point. I said four. Because God is almighty, he can give limitless strength to those who look to him in faith. Great words from Isaiah 40, 28 to 31. You know some of these verses probably already. Have you not known? Isaiah 40, 28. Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. It's because he's omnipotent. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. 
beautiful promise. Even youths, the strongest, shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And I wonder, I wonder here we sit and are looking the book in the middle of the week. And I wonder how many people never will set their sights on, on a healed marriage, a sanctified life, a converted loved one, all because while they have their religious beliefs and they go to church, they've somehow lost the, the fundamental confidence that God can change the circumstances of their life. That belief has just sunk to the bottom of their hearts. I'll always be addicted to pornography. I'll never be able to quit, you know, whatever. I'll never be able to renew a relationship with my spouse. I'm always going to be a spiritual flop. No, Isaiah says, God, he's not just omnipotent. He, 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 gives, he gives power to the weak. He still does that. His omnipotence isn't some cold, isolated, divine trait with no meaning for the confused and the exhausted and the weary and the hurting. That's why I want to wrap up the study with this, these two verses from Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3, 20, 21. Now to him who is able, remember he's omnipotent, he can do whatever he pleases. He is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. What do you think is possible? can do more than we ask or think according to the power at work in us. To him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations. This, God doesn't run out of gas. He's still omnipotent through all generations forever and ever. That's a good place to say amen. We are so blessed to have an omnipotent, almighty God who works on our behalf. Let's pray. They sing it around the throne. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the omnipotent, reigns. Reign in our lives, reign in our church. Reveal your power and grace, your omnipotent power over individual lives, over our church, over nations. This is my Father's world as we sing. Bless these truths about what our God is like. Let them bear fruit in all of our hearts and lives, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't forget to join us Sunday morning right here at the church, 10 o'clock. Make sure you register. We're going through 1 John and then Sunday night in the parables. I'm so excited about that series. God bless you, church. Love one another. Have a great week.